It's a great joy to be here, just for a change. So next week we'll be in Israel. We'll leave by the end of the week. We've been invited for the official uh, ceremonies at Yad Vashem for Yom HaShoah, and it's our great joy to be able to participate in that. At the same time, just now here, for, to be in the service for Easter, to celebrate Passover and Good Friday together, that was such an amazing weekend. And a huge thank you to everyone who was involved in creative things, practical things. It's a great joy to see that. And also to hear and to see all of this. So we are not just someone who is going to services, but the message is actually worth spreading with all the creativity we have, right? Whether that's drama, or dance, or worship, music, the really little ones to really any age group. That is just so amazing to see. Praise the Lord. And Easter is a very special date, of course. And I don't know what ideas you have about Easter, but for me, my life as a Christian wasn't something that I was born with, actually. But when I was a child, Easter usually was for me, well, chocolate Easter eggs, and then a huge breakfast, a family breakfast, and then we we dinged eggs, and I had to be very careful that my brothers and sisters didn't uh, smuggle any raw eggs into my basket, because if I I was the little one, if I had the raw egg and they slapped it with their boiled egg, then I had the trouble in my hands. Anyway, we had lots of fun. But then as we grew up, we're teenagers, then my idea of Easter was having a big Easter bonfire and a huge binging ceremony, session. That's not quite such a good memory. But as I was uh, older then, Easter was about bank holiday afterwards. But praise the Lord, Jesus came into my life then. So Easter means salvation and eternal life, resurrection by the living God. Easter, that is, Jesus is transforming your life. So Easter, without Easter, Christmas would make no sense. There'd be no Christmas. So the manger would be empty and, and Christmas would just be a nice uh, end of the year celebration with uh, year-end angels or whatever. It would not be a celebration to honor the Son of God. But Easter, my friends, is the key celebration. Unless Jesus had gone to the cross, unless he is risen from the dead, we might actually actually finish right here, shake hands and say, that's it, because everything would just be religious tradition. But turn to the person next to you and tell them, praise the Lord, that's not true. Jesus is alive and he reigns today. Amen. And if you're here, and if you want to celebrate Easter differently, I can tell you good news. You can meet this Jesus in a personal way. He is the resurrection and the life. And this word is not just a historic word, but this is a word of the present time. So let me read something 
to you, Matthew 27, of course about the resurrection, and my message is Easter saved my life, and you'll understand in a minute, but let me read those passages to you, because seeing as we are celebrating this celebration of resurrection, we want to read in the Bible what this is all about. Matthew 27, towards the end of the chapter, and then the first six chapters of Matthew 28. So, the next day, the one after Preparation Day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead, and this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Shabbat, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, so that was Sunday, in brackets, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. Amen. So now, these days, we are surprised by certain things, especially during the last two weeks. And one of those surprises was that something you wouldn't, we wouldn't really do. But if we read the Bild, which is a German uh, boulevard magazine, there was a very interesting report. And it said that the statistic found in IDEA, that's an information uh, service of the Evangelical Alliance, was published in Bild with a huge heading saying Re recent polls so many Germans believe in the miracle of Easter and then it said victory of life over death love over de hate this is the good news, news of Christianity that is celebrated at Easter. And we think, wow, that's interesting, in a boulevard magazine. And then this uh, poll, and the participants in the poll were asked what they think about the statement that Jesus is risen indeed. And so there's an image there. About 18% agreed in Germany. 42% negated it. 28% said, don't know. And 11% said nothing at all. So probably you not only pro probably you're not part of those 42 who reject that statement. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So you're probably somewhere in those other percent who either agree or who say I don't know. 11% don't say anything at all. At all. And then there was a closer look at the details when it said 28% of the Roman Catholic Church believe in the resurrection. 23% of the Lutheran Church 
believe in the resurrection. And now, that's what is really interesting. 55% of the free church, so most of them, uh, that's the majority, but believe in the resurrection. But actually, 45% of the people in the free church have a problem with this idea. Huh. So it's interesting what you can read up in the newspapers and what you think about. And a second thing I was sent was, you know, last week there were the dramatic pictures of Notre Dame. I don't know whether you have the PowerPoint with me here. Please give me those pictures. There was Klaus Kleber in a German TV magazine. They showed this picture. Maybe you've seen that as well when the roof was burning. Everything was collapsing in the center of the church and then there was this picture afterwards the uh, smoky church with all the soot and then there was just the cross shining there and then Klaus Kleber in that uh, TV magazine on the 16th of April said something that I thought was really amazing it says the sooty background of last night showed the uh, almost immaculate gold of the cross of the altar of Notre Dame. It's a message, the most important things remain. So actually that's interesting, right? Sometimes I think that there might be some prophetic words, prophetic words that can say a lot and we need to listen carefully. So the message of the cross of the resurrection is not about religion, it's not about the outward appearance, not about all the pomp and circumstances around, but it's about the core, the, the important part. And a third example, to go back to the Built magazine, I don't know whether I've ever started a message with a quote from Built, but it's like the sun in England, basically, but anyway. They, there are certain things that we don't might, might not necessarily realize about the magazine, but the uh, um, vice chief editor is a very rare occurrence in the uh, media world because he publicly confesses being a Christian uh, and, and he confesses his uh, belief in the Christian faith, which he only rediscovered three years ago. Uh, so he actually got saved then. Anyway, he says, how Easter saved my life. And to me, this is one of the most stunning testimonies about resurrection and Easter, and I want to read that for you in a moment. And I actually suspect that this might actually be even clearer than preached in many churches. He writes, today at the age of 41, Easter has become the most important ce celebration because the one that we celebrate here has saved my life, Jesus. And it happened like that. Like millions of others, I somehow believed in God a little bit. And maybe you find yourself in that. Jesus never was so important to me. Was he the son of God or a good man? I didn't really care until there was one Christian who told me the life-changing message of Easter. One testimony of the life-saving message of the gospel can actually reach millions. If there's one person who gives their life to Jesus, that can have reverberations on a whole nation. Anyway, and he continued, because God is righteous, human sin had to be punished. And out of his love to us, God made man took everything upon himself on the cross. And with his resurrection, Jesus overcame death. No more sacrifice necessary. We are free now to love. God 
our neighbor and ourselves. So Easter for Christians is not just death and resurrection, but it is forgiveness, deliverance, the ultimate proof of love. And then he gives a few lines on his testimony. I researched for three years, I researched, I doubted, but then I discovered God deserves my trust. And I say, yes, I do, even though many people laugh about me. Yes, we've got a free will to believe or not to. But to me, my faith saved my life, spiritually. Broken, uh, broken. Uh, you just open up parentheses and say, the Bible says, believe and be saved. Parenthesis closed. So, my goal is not to be successful, but to love God and my neighbor as myself. That's a great charge. No more lies and no more cold feelings against anyone. But instead, find peace, happiness, and a meaning in life. Unfortunately, I often make mistakes and mess up. But I know who is the one who gives me forgiveness when I pray, because the greatest sacrifice of Jesus Christ is valid until today. So that is Easter message right here in the Boulevard newspaper, right? Also... So I think this was a good beginning to this message to look at this story of Matthew 27, verse 62 to Matthew 28. And many times, especially in a city like Tübingen or when you travel with others, it's always about historic facts and what happened and what didn't happen. And so it's interesting actually to then discover, also find scientific magazines and other, talk to other people. So if you think a little bit deeper about the facts of the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, it is quite clear that the res resurrection actually had to have taken place after the crucifixion. You don't necessarily have to believe in miracles, you just need to understand history a little bit. So that's what we can read here, that after Jesus' death, the Pharisees, the scribes and the high priests realized you need to prevent at any cost for people to claim that Jesus did rise after his death, because they saw it coming. And they said, what can we do? And then they suspected, well, maybe the disciples are trying to steal the body. So we need to prevent the theft of the body. That was their intention. And so, very simple, that was the reason that didn't happen all the time, but that's why they had this huge stone, we've heard about this many times, that was part of the traditional burial. So they closed the grave with a stone and then in addition they sealed it. They sealed it shut and additional to that, not just a double secure, but to make three times secure, they had guards, and not just one guard, I don't know how many it was, three, four, six, they had guards outside. So, even if Jesus had been Superman, there was no way he could have gotten through that. And so it's very amazing, three days later, later, it was proven the grave was empty. The seal was broken, the stone was away, Jesus wasn't there anymore. And then when the disciples came and looked in, there were the grave clothes. I preached about this last year, you know, the, the headband that was folded by itself in a different place. 
And so what happened? You know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were consulting, saying what to do. And then they said, okay, the guards, they told, that they were to say, oh yeah, the, the body was stolen while they were asleep. So just uh, add up those three factors, it was impossible. Nobody was able to steal the body. There were a few more theories of other opponents. They said, well, maybe Jesus didn't even die at all, but actually continued to be alive. Somehow there was still some life left, and then he wriggled himself out of those grave clothes and... Uh, but I tell you, that doesn't work. Or there was a different theory. Maybe they confused him. There was a, uh, th there was a, his double who was crucified instead of him. But that's not credible either. Because Jesus was uh, interrogated three times. They knew him so well. And in all public view, he went along the, this path with the cross. So nobody was able to doubt his identity. And then there was another point when he was raised, the Bible says, credibly, and even later sources say, that there were many encounters with him. This crucified Jesus who had died on the cross, who was pierced in his side, who was wrapped in grave clothes, who was in the grave. It wasn't just one witness, but many numerous encounters with people. First of all, Mary of Magdalene and the other women outside the empty tomb. That's what the Gospel of John says. And then Peter, two disciples on their way to Emmaus. And then the disciples, first without Thomas, then with him. And then the risen one meets with another seven disciples at Lake Galilee. And then a whole group of more than 500 people on a hill in Galilee. And that wasn't all. There was James, who had not believed in Jesus before, but then got saved, and later was the leader of the congregation in Jerusalem, and then Paul. And so many. There's only one conclusion that we can have very clearly. Jesus is risen. He's alive. So he didn't just evaporate somewhere. And even with the historic critical theology, you cannot push this aside. Jesus has risen. He's alive. And that's what we read in the Bible. And I would like to introduce four people to you who somehow were involved in this resurrection. First of all, the first group was the soldiers at the tomb. Probably several, but it's a group of people. They were really brutal and cruel. These legionaries were people, they were not 10 meters away from the body. They were outside the tomb the stone in front of the stone that had been rolled before the entrance to the tomb, but they were absolutely not interested in what was going on behind it. They were indifferent. They were more interested in getting their wages. We can read that in some of our verses on, that they were given much money, uh, they were given extra uh, wages for their lies and for, for the fake news to spread the news that Jesus had been stolen, Jesus' body had been stolen. 
But this group of people, of soldiers, they represent the very people who have their eyes fixed on the things of this world. They were interested in the things that they are just doing well. They were interested in the extra money. And then a few verses later, you read that they took the money, the scribes offered them, and they did what they were told. And that's the first group of people. This first group of people that we're faced with, and maybe we're part of that, or you are part of that. You are so close to the tomb. You're so close to Jesus. And the Bible says that each one of us is so close to Jesus. He's not far away. Jesus is not just somewhere removed in heaven, not somewhere out there in the universe. He's not hidden somewhere in a dark place. But Jesus, the Son of God, he's not the one that we have to strive to somehow find, but Jesus is so close to us right here. And this is what happened with the soldiers as well. The power of resurrection was so close, their entire lives could have been put upside down. And this is what I want to tell you as well. The power of resurrection is not an Easter celebration. It's not an egg roll. It's not a nice event, and not even a nice service, but the power of resurrection turns your life upside down. And this power of resurrection is Jesus himself who changes and transforms your life, renewing it completely. And then there were the soldiers and they stood outside the tomb and they just had their eyes fixed on the things that were going to happen, their nice things, they would get, they had their wages, their career, their promotion, they thought what, about what others would think, all these things, maybe even pleasant things, that very soon they would receive all that. And that's nothing bad in itself, but my friends... Jesus was behind the stone. He was hidden from their eyes. And then we can read that there was a huge earthquake because an angel of the Lord came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. That's Matthew 28. But the guards shook and trembled with fear of him and fell down like dead. So just think about it. The soldiers were not just immediately at the stone, not just where Jesus was hidden in the tomb, 10 meters away from him, but they even made an experience with God. Many times that's true. We have experiences with God, but it doesn't move our hearts. They even had experiences with angels, you know. If we read statistics, how many people had encounters with angels, it's almost 100%. Almost everyone at some point has their own experience with God. And this is what happened to the soldiers. They were scared and they fell down like dead and they knew here's the presence of God. But it didn't change their lives. And so listen, the experience with God that you've made, your spiritual experiences, whatever appearance it might take, it, that does not change your life. The only thing that does change your life and turn, will turn it upside down is when you have a personal encounter with Jesus as the resurrected Lord. And this was the group of soldiers. And the soldiers at the tomb, they represent people all around us. Maybe even us, ourselves. 
So we keep hearing the words of Easter and Resurrection, and so the soldiers kept hearing the words that the angels said to Mary of Magdalene. They even heard it. Jesus is risen. And they represent people who year after year go to the same services, year after year they hear the same Easter message. We listen, we hear, but then we continue living our own lives. Sometimes we're even shaken. So the soldiers were full of fear. But yet they are corrupted by the extra pay and wages they're given by this world. And the only things they fix their eyes on are on material goods and success. And they don't have that personal encounter with Jesus. But then there's a second group. They're the high priests and uh, the Pharisees. So the high priests and Pharisees, they represent those who consciously fight the message of the resurrection. Others did that as well, but these are the ones who represent that. They are full of religious zeal. So we see them debating, we see them discussing, and arguing, we see them taking the word apart, we see them questioning the resurrection, even the crucifixion. And they don't represent people and in, in my mind they represent people who exalt themselves above the resurrection, who resist the resurrection and who fight it, who question it, who want to discuss and argue, who want to ridicule it. They despise disciples and followers of Jesus and tell them they're naive. And this is similar how this was. They ridiculed Jesus. What? You want to be the Son of God? You, the King of the Jews? And they mocked him. And they put a crown of thorns on his hand, head. And so they represent the people who would prefer to even eradicate belief in Jesus. Of course, they wouldn't say it that way. Well, of course, Jesus is a humanist, a good person. Jesus as a good example. You can learn so much from him. But my friends, at the cross and at the resurrection, that's where things get divided. Not in his life, but in following him as the resurrected Lord and Savior. And there are people fighting against it everywhere. People who come together and to hold counsel how they can fight against the message of the resurrection. That's what we saw with the Pharisees and scribes here. And the only way to fight against Jesus, the only possibility they saw back then and today, to the only way to resist the resurrection and the power of God is by spreading lies. That's the same thing today as it was back then. Spreading bad reports. Oh, well, the disciples. I am sure they will try and steal the body. The disciples, they have a double agenda. They want something else, a hidden agenda. They want to make use of that for themselves. They are populists. They are media people. They want to take advantage of that. And so they start spreading fake news and rumors. 
And that's what the high priests and Pharisees represent. And who of you knows that this is not successful? Because Jesus is risen. He's alive. And at the cross, he overcame religion. And so actually they represent religion. Let me read verse 14 to you. They came together with the elders and they held counsel and offered much money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away, away while we were asleep. So that's fake news, religion. But I've got good news for you. Religion won't get you to heaven. And everything that's not birthed out of a deep relationship to Jesus, nothing of that will get you to heaven. Even visiting a service won't get you to heaven. Religious laws won't get you to heaven. Religion has the appearance of godliness, but it denies the power of resurrection. Religion is always connected to a spirit of condemnation. Religion brings division of relationships, marriages, churches. And the religious spirit is the one that wants to oppress others who follow Jesus and wants to push them away from following Jesus. Religious spirits call the living faith a sect and, or a cult and dead religion alive. And religion is always fighting against the price of the cross, against the fact that you need to crucify your own self. And that's what we can read here and learn from resurrection. Religion will not get us to heaven. You know, eternal life is something you can only receive through an intimate relationship to Jesus. Do you have such a relationship? That you would actually say yes to his love and acceptance. Like we read here from the second chief editor of the Boulevard magazine. He said, I said yes to his invitation. You can only receive eternal life when you truly entrust your life to him and follow him. When you accept him as your Lord and Savior and follow him, you can only receive eternal life by saying yes in a radical way to his forgiveness and no to your own life. And the third group of people, we are actually very well acquainted with them. They are the disciples. Because the disciples, they had left behind everything. Jesus had called them and they left behind everything, family, children, jobs. For three years they had followed Jesus. They had seen signs and miracles, they had lived together. And now, they had come to a point that they thought, was it really worth it? Jesus had died at the cross. They watched him die. They saw the darkness. They saw the mocking and ridicule. And now they were in a state as like being captive and caught in mourning. And, and there was no more expectation, no more hope. So just imagine, when Jesus was crucified, they heard the high priests and elders and Roman soldiers and everyone, everyone who was gathered around from all sorts of nations, they simply were mocking Jesus. Jesus, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
and nothing happened. And so they felt so helpless and empty, frustrated. They were disappointed. And the disciples here in the story represent everyone who's taken their first steps with Jesus. But somehow in your life, and at some point in your life with God, you no longer have your eyes fixed on Him, but you fix your eyes on the closed grave, on the tomb, on what's not working, what's not possible, the things that have disappointed you. And that's what happened to the disciples. They had followed Jesus, but they stopped just short of the goal. And there's so many believers. They follow Jesus, and they have a burning heart full of fire and love and passion. They give themselves to Jesus, but at some point they stop. And maybe you can't even tell by looking at them. And that's what happened to the disciples. They were caught up in their fears, their worries, all the impossibles of their everyday life. That's what the disciples represent. But Jesus comes and meets with them. I've got good news for you. If you are at such a point, Jesus won't leave you there. Jesus didn't leave them behind their locked doors. Because in the Gospel of John, we read that they even locked the doors behind themselves because they were afraid of the Jews. They were full of fear. And that happens when you don't have your eyes fixed on Jesus, but on the closed tomb, on the things that are impossible in your faith. And then they're full of fear and worries and you are paralyzed. But Jesus comes to them and says, do not be afraid. You will see me. You can meet with me. And Jesus says that to you as well. If you've reached such a point, Jesus says, you can meet with me. You can see me. There is a point when I come into your life afresh, I'll come right into your prison. Maybe you've locked yourself in. John 20, 18. It's Mary of Magdalene who says and proclaims to the disciples, says, I've seen the Lord. And then a few verses on you can read, in the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples had gathered together and the doors were closed for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and appeared in their midst. And he said to them, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And then, you know what it says there? The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You know what the answer is? If you have stopped at some point, maybe you are locked in the prison of your frustration and disappointment, you only have to have that encounter with Jesus. When they saw Jesus, they were overjoyed. Again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. So when you have an encounter with Jesus, he comes with his peace. And nothing can drive you anymore. Your inner strife and stress and pressure is transformed into peace that's higher than all understanding. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who gives you peace. He is Emmanuel. He is the one who enters our lives. He is the one who transforms chaos and discord in new life. Maybe you've been walking with him for many years and need him afresh. He comes. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then there is the fourth person. Somehow she's been mentioned a few times today. Mary of Magdalene. Or others call her 
Mary Magdalena, Mary of Magdalene. That's a person who's so closely connected to Jesus. I mean, there's some really weird ideas. But even Hollywood was interested in her. Last year there was a movie in the cinemas, Mary of Magdalene, with a very famous stars. Anyway, what truly happened, she was one of the disciples of Jesus. She followed him. And when you read the Gospels, Mark, Luke, Matthew, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, whatever order you want to name them in, the Gospels speak about women following Jesus and Mary of Magdalene is always mentioned first. She is the one who was right there in the forefront. And we can read that Mary of Magdalene wasn't born in a religious home, but she was, she was delivered of demons. Jesus delivered her and healed her diseases. And the Word of God says that the one who's forgiven much loves much and I believe she was one of these people she truly had a past but Jesus forgave her he delivered her of her demons Jesus healed her and she was one of those who simply loved Jesus and Mary of Magdalene she was watching together with the other women and she was a witness of the crucifixion from the beginning to the very end and she was part and attending that funeral. She was there right from the beginning to the end. She saw darkness come upon Jesus. She saw darkness heaping up. She saw Jesus take all condemnation, all sin and pain upon himself. That's what the Word of God says. He was like sucking it all in. And that was no theory. But he received it all in himself as if it as if it was like a sponge taking in all that darkness. The darkness of the whole world came upon him. And Mary of Magdalene was there at a distance and she heard Jesus say, It is finished. And then she heard the captain of the guard saying truly this one was the son of God and I don't know maybe she remembered that that Jesus had spoken about this at some point that he was the temple that was torn down and on the third day he'd be built up again because Jesus kept giving hints about his resurrection and I can imagine that somehow she was she could not forget about what he said and maybe she needed this assurance but in any case we read that early early in the morning she got up while it was still dark she was the very first maybe she woke up at four she couldn't find rest or at five and it was still dark and she simply couldn't keep back she ran to the tomb the tomb of Jesus and she was the very first to reach the tomb. And I was wondering, you know, what did everybody else do? What did the others do early in the morning? So early. On the very day of the resurrection. 
You know, there were the soldiers at the tomb. I told you that God, because the resurrection power was so close to them, but their lives were not changed. They were shaken to the core, but so somehow they, ha they met with God, they had an experience, they even heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, but it didn't change their hearts. It was still that they'd rather serve their own needs and their own success. If only at this moment, when they were in this moment of terror and shock, if they had only bent their knee, humbled themselves, asked forgiveness at that point, their lives would have been transformed radically. But they ran away. They ran away. They ran to the Pharisees and scribes some early, sometime early in the morning. And then they took the money and they did what the enemies of Jesus told them to do. And they spread the lie about Jesus and how the body was stolen. And what about the high priests and the Pharisees? Because these were the ones, well, I call them the religious people of their time. So I think on that Sunday morning they were preparing their sacrifice because it was the first day of the week. And maybe they got up of their bed from their beds and said, oh, at last we can pray in peace. And this troublemaker is in the grave now now we can have our sacrifices we can live according to our church rules that'll be fine and somehow they said well we are the clever ones we've got wisdom we've brought everything back into order we've discussed it down to the ground and we took any measure we knew how so the negative seed would be planted into the hearts of the people. Everyone is going to think Jesus' body was stolen. Somehow this reminds me of today, because the same thing exists still today. People who are so quick to sow fake news, lies, lack. And many times that's a mark that we don't live out of that relationship to Jesus, out of that forgiveness, but it's simply by religion that has become our idol. And what happened to the disciples early Sunday morning? I could imagine that they had a very restless night. You know, two days later, Jesus was crucified the next night. And we read that, you know, that they were full of fear because of the Jews. And they slept behind locked doors. You know, nights like that filled of cares and worries and troubles and, and you think about things, you can't sleep, you don't want to think about these things. But then they woke up at night and it was like an inward pain and they saw the images in front of their inner eyes. I'm sure they kept seeing that and it played before their eyes over and over again. And somehow they had even buried their own faith along with the body of Jesus. Their own faith ended up behind that stone. There was nothing left. That was the disciples. And maybe it happens for us as well. 
Maybe we have reached a point like that, that we actually have buried our own faith that we used to focus on Jesus, but it's now hidden behind that stone in the tomb. Not even, we don't even see the possibilities of our faith, but the impossibilities of our lives. That's what occupies your heart. And then there is Mary of Magdalene. As we mentioned just now, she woke up early in the morning while it was still dark. And she runs out, leaves Jerusalem, past Bethesda or wherever it was, and she runs to the tomb. And she knows this day is different than all other days. And that's what I want to tell you. This day today can be either an Easter celebration or it can be a different day than all other days. It can be the best day of your life. This day today can either be an Easter celebration and a nice Easter service or you have an encounter with the Savior and Redeemer, the power of resurrection that will transform your life and you'll not remain the way you are. And He will turn your life upside down and it will be a day that's the best day of your life and every Easter, and not just Easter, but every day of your life, you will have a fresh encounter and live by that power of the resurrected one, but it is in your hand. So Mary has that encounter with the resurrected Jesus and that changes her life forever. And she says, we can read that in the Gospel of John, that she was weeping, looking into the tomb, and she speaks to the angel. And she says, today my tears have been wiped away and I have met him. Today I found eternal life. That was the best day of my life. And then she speaks with Jesus even without recognizing him. You know, and that happens at times. You know, we have our own idea about Jesus. So who wants, you know, who wants to see Jesus and think he's the gardener? I don't think that this is our idea. You know, if Jesus comes to meet me, then please let him come in bright clothes, look very holy, with a bright smile on his face, and with sparkling eyes, looking deep into my soul, surrounded by glory. At least that's that's how it has to be so I can give my life to Jesus. But that's not really how it happens, is it? Jesus came and appeared to Mary Magdalene and she thought he was the gardener. It wasn't anything spectacular at all. And so few people are willing to encounter Jesus in a simple prayer and to trust that if we only give our lives to him, invite him, that he will actually change our lives. And then she runs back to the disciples because something happens in her heart. Do you remember that article that the vice chief editor wrote? That he said, the steps that I took have become an assurance in me. And that's what happened in her from one moment to the next. So she comes and runs to the disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. Hallelujah. And then Revelation 1, verse 17, it says, The Son of Man, so that's Jesus, the risen one, he placed his right hand upon me, upon John, and said, Do not fear. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive 
from eternity to eternity. And I have taken the, the keys to death and hell. So Jesus has the key. The decision in favor of him is the decision on eternal life with him or eternal condemnation. This decision is something we cannot take in heaven, but it's something we need to do right here on earth, here and now. And this decision is not something we can do over and over again, but it's God giving his word to us and we need to lay hold of it. Jesus is here. And he is the redeemer, the savior. He's a wonderful God. He's the beginning and the end. We can read that Alpha and Omega, the resurrection and the, la the, and the life. He is the Savior. At the beginning of my message, I told you like how I used to celebrate Easter. So I'm from a family who somehow did believe in God, but not in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It was a humanistic family. And then when I was a teenager, I got saved and gave my life to Jesus. And then, of course, the family and the people around me thought, oh, well, you know, this is just something a 14-year-old does. That won't last. When a 14-year-old, you know, is like a leaf in, blown in the wind. So he'll be a Christian one day and then he'll have something else later. But that wasn't the case. I had an encounter with the risen one. I had an encounter with Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and he delivered me, just like you can read it of Mary Magdalene here. Delivered of my sin, of my guilt, delivered of my humanistic pride delivered of my own thoughts that I somehow was able to save myself because that's how we think many times but you need a savior you need someone who comes from outside and who takes you you need the risen one who comes with his power that rolled away the stone and enters into your life with his grace and mercy who will turn your life upside down and he invites you to do that and let me uh, continue the interview with the journalist Daniel Böcking who's the journalist writing in the uh, boulevard magazine, he was asked, you know, how his life had changed. And then the pe person interviewing him says, you describe yourself as a person who actually likes to fo focus things. And so let me ask you, how did it happen that your life was changed so dramatically? And then this journalist answers, well, I believe the most important pu push was from God himself, because at some point I had a thought that if there is a God, he actually should be the most important thing in my life. And then afterwards, I tried it in my life. And at some point, my search turned into complete conviction. And looking back, I would describe it that way. I had the impression I was invited, and I only had to accept that invitation. And that same invitation is issued to you today. I believe the fact that you are here in this service, maybe somebody invited you, family, friends, whoever, but actually it's because God wants to invite you. 
Jesus wants to invite you to come to him, to meet with him, the living one. And let me just continue this a little bit on. He's just a very new believer, has only been a, a believer for three to four years now. And he says, my faith has saved my life spiritually, as I told you, but also practically. So let me repeat what I read in the beginning. I don't feel that I need to be in competition anymore for money, career or whatever, but I know that God gives me tangible forgiveness in prayer because the sacrifice of Jesus at Easter is valid until today. So to me, is such an invitation is irresistible. So how can we do that? What's the greatest love and the greatest proof of love? The greatest proof of love is for someone to invite me and for me to accept that invitation, right? And that's what this is all about. And we'll pray together in a moment and I will give you that invitation and I would like to encourage you, do receive prayer, but we need to respond. And maybe you're one of those people that you are focused on your success, your material life, and I want to tell you, this is nothing you'll be able to take with you into eternity. Maybe you're one of those who have been brought up in a very religious way, and you say, oh, this is, this is my religious life and form, but your religious life and traditions will be nothing you can take into heaven with you and they won't get you to heaven or maybe you're one of those who are like the disciples who lock themselves in into the walls and the prisons of disappointment and of accusations against God and I want you to know if you want that Jesus will enter and the risen one will meet with you. So you will be able to exchange this prison if you're only willing to have him unlock it in order to send you. Because Jesus didn't just come in and heal them. He didn't do counseling seminar with them. But he breathed on them and said, the door is open and now I'm sending you again. Hmm. No other way. To receive the Holy Spirit, I am sending you. And maybe you're here like Mary of Magdalene, full of expectation. So I don't know how you came, but I know that Jesus came in order to meet with you. But what it takes is that you come to him, that you run to him. What it takes is that you don't just remain in your seat, in the place where you're hidden, but that there'd be this one point where you say, Lord, I come to you. That you take this one step to say, Jesus, here I am. I want this. And this is what happened with Mary of Magdalene. And the second thing is, if you accept an invitation, is that for you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to say, Jesus, forgive me my sin. I accept you as my Lord and Redeemer and turn away from my sin and I end my life of rebellion against you and your word. And you accept that invitation by saying yes.
to the fact that Jesus has paid in full for your sin by his sacrifice. And you know, sometimes we hear about a soft gospel and that proclaims a false cross of a love of God that embraces everyone and leaves us as we are. But that's false teaching of this time. Jesus does not leave us as we are. He went to the cross for your and my life. He is the one who paid the price. He was put in the grave and rose again so you and me would be able to live. But we need to say yes. And that's the only way how we can follow him as Lord and Savior and the power of resurrection. And my friends, please, let's all stand together and we'll pray together. And then I'll invite you to come and join me in prayer, right?